Hello there, humans. Hope you are well. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Jones, and she has recently received the world's first PhD in immersive storytelling. It's a very complex title, but essentially she's playing around with virtual reality, augmented reality, holographics, and a whole bunch of other different platforms that people can use to tell stories. Uh, so today we get to learn all about what the future of VR and AR and holographics has in store for us, some of the most exciting projects that are going on right now, uh, some cool suggestions for where you can go to actually experience some of these things, uh, and some ethical implications as well to do with how effectively these new platforms can change people's opinions and influence what they think. Uh, obviously, everyone's quite concerned at the moment about what social media is doing to us. Make that into a, a 3D world that essentially replicates reality, and you can already see why there might be some concerns about where we're going. Please welcome Dr. Sarah Jones. I am joined by Dr. Sarah Jones, and before the podcast, we've been nerding out on all of the different gadgets and stuff that we've got floating around our house. So that is going to be the continuation of today's episode. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. You have the world's first PhD in immersive storytelling. Correct. What's that? What, what, what <laughs> I, does that I, mean? I'm sure I won't be the, the I won't be the only one for very long. I'm sure there'll be lots more coming up right behind me um, with regard to immersive storytelling. And I usually say it's immersive story living um, as a way to kind of define it a little bit more. But basically, what I do is grab any tech that I can and break it to find a new way of having a story. Um, so story living is all around that kind of immersive experience um, where it's completely rooted in the experience, in the experiential. So therefore you can't really have a told story. It's not really a directed narrative. Um, so you've got to break it apart and then you live it in whatever way you want therefore it's story living. Um, so yeah, I, I did my PhD. I got my PhD in story living, um, the first one. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. That's fun. So what are some of the examples of, of the, the kind of technologies that you work with? Um, I've always experimented with, with whatever I could get my hands on, really. So my background was in television journalism. So I was a reporter for like 10 years, um, traveled all the way around the world telling stories. And I always wanted to just get closer to those stories. Um, I wanted to find a way of really taking the audience and putting them in the heart of it. So I was right at the start of the mobile phone movement um, of mobile phone filmmaking um, and shooting and editing everything on your phones. Um, and I found that that could get you closer. Um, but it still wasn't close enough because whenever you're watching anything, there's this barrier and that barrier is the screen and it's always in the way. Um, and then when I did my first kind of VR experience, I was like, <laughs> this is it. 
Now I can take you, the audience, and I can plunk you in the center of the story and you're there and you experience it then yourself. Um, so from all kinds of things, from normal film to um, AR to VR to 360 film, which is obviously the easiest way to experiment. Um, but at the moment, I'm, I'm really fascinated with holograms and what you can do with those. Um, and I haven't made anything decent. Um <laughs> But I will. Um, so it's just a case of experimenting and breaking and trying to find how these technologies suit different mediums. That's interesting. So uh, is your are you coming at this from a tech coding side or are you coming at this from more of a grand perspective? What can it do? Um, what's its sort of capabilities side? I think the latter yeah. um, and certainly more of that kind of artistic side um i tried to learn how to code probably about five six years ago i thought okay i really need to do this you know, clearly i'm missing that skill so i started learning and then i thought you know what there's people that are brilliant at this i don't need to kill myself trying to do it i yeah. just need to find those people especially and if it's work not your, with them especially if it's not in your wheelhouse like there's no, some guys, exactly. yeah, some guys who who eat that stuff for breakfast, but would find yeah. would find the storytelling that you do like just crawling through glass. So you might as Absolutely. well, might as well double down. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have a basic knowledge. I I can understand it. I know what I need to do. Mm. Um, but I I think what's really interesting about working in kind of technology for the kind of artistic side, the narrative side, the experience side, um is it has to be a collaboration. And that collaboration means you need that specific group of people to make magic. And not one of those people can do it by themselves. You need everybody there. Um, and that's what's really exciting, really, because I feed off everybody else's mind. You know, I need to be stimulated by all those minds to make something great. Um, so it's quite, quite good in that respect. Um, but yeah, certainly that kind of artistic side, looking at what can we really do with it? Um, I think a lot of the problems, um, and I've been quite critical of some people for, for doing it, is that you get a new platform or new technology and you just apply old ways of thinking to it. What like? And that's really, and I, I think, well, there, there was a prime example, um, and I always name and shame them as an example, of Sky. Um, yeah, so, so Sky News um, did their first VR experience. And it was the reporter on the, the migrant crisis doing a story on the beach. And they'd obviously filmed it for a live report first off um, as a flat, flat version for, for traditional television. Um, and then they um, filmed it with a 360 camera. They filmed it for VR, 360, capturing everything. You can look around, tilt and rotate on your phone, whatever it might be. But they did exactly the same thing. They didn't think about what can we do differently because we have a spherical camera. How can we tell this story differently? What does it mean from the audience perspective of watching a story flat, having the narrative told to you, or actually being there on the beach, 
how does that change what you do? And I was really critical of them for doing that. And then the next day they announced that they had a new Sky um, VR studio. Um, so my timing wasn't great. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I hold true to, to that belief that it's just really lazy. And, you know, my background is in journalism and it always reminds me of when online journalism started. And it was just simply, you know, you get your story and you copy and you paste and you put it online and then you upload the video and you don't think it's a different audience and they're consuming it in a different way. So they need it to be different. Um, so, so I think that's really where a lot of the mistakes are. So what I try and do is start on that blank canvas and think, what can I do that I can only do because of this technology? Um, so it's not really technology for technology's sake. Mm. It's more thinking we we owe it to the tech to make it great and to break it mm. and find new ways of using it. So um, how would you how would you characterize the difference between the use of something for traditional flat screens and that for VR? Um, if you were if you were designing it, if you were the, the the lady that was at Sky that day on that beach, what what how does it look different? What do you do? It's about the experience. So whenever I'm planning a shoot on anything, um, it's it's always the first port of call. Whereas in flat, you would kind of do a storyboard and you think of your start, your middle and your end. When you're doing something for VR um, or 360, it's closing your eyes and thinking, what is it? What's that experience that you're trying to get somebody to experience? What is it about being in that specific place that you need to capture? And then how can you capture it? Um, so I did something a couple of years ago in Hong Kong um, in Chunking Mansions, uh, which is this crazy, crazy, huge international kind of market scene um it's the most insane place in the world um totally chaotic um 4000 people staying there in all these really cheap hostels like the cheapest place where you can stay um and going in there you know it's dark it's dingy um there's so many different smells and noises and everything is going on, going on. So for me being in that environment, I was like, I need to capture that. And capturing an experience and a feeling is really difficult to do. It's not like just telling the story like, you know, oh, the smells are so intense and these people are doing this. You know, you can't do that. You've got to put someone in the heart of it. So, so to do that, I broke all of the kind of, very early um, introductory editing conventions in VR. Um, I had a lot of moving shots because I wanted to, people to feel disjointed um, and uneasy. I had various kind of carrying shots so you were at different levels. I had lots of quick edits um, to make people feel jarred. Um, and that was how you could capture the experience. So it's all coming down to that, really. Instead of what is the story that I'm trying to tell, it's what is the experience I'm trying to create. And that, it's a real shift in the mindset. It's really hard to try and think in that way. Um, it can be easier in some ways, but a lot harder in others. I suppose thinking about it, the, when you are trying to capture something for flat screen, your position in terms of camera is framing the scene as is best appropriate. Whereas for VR, it's, literally the point of view it's what is the optimal point of view is that is that the distinction between the two yeah absolutely and there is no frame 
you know, mm. the, the frame has gone. Mm. Um, you, you always have like this, this frame in front of you on, on a flat screen. And then suddenly that's gone. Um, I can make something and have 10 different people watch it in 10 completely different ways, taking different narratives from it. Um, it doesn't always have to be that way. And a lot of people do try and direct the narrative and use cues um, like lights and sounds mm-hmm. and, and force the gaze to different places. Um, but I tend to argue against that and think, no, I want people to just experience it. And we all experience things in different ways. Um, so let's forget about that and put the trust in the audience to just let them create their own experience. Mm. Um it's not might as if, be me being lazy, but well, it's, know, not as if, it, it's not as if you can't watch it again as well. So I, I got a, I got an Oculus Rift actually off an ex missus. I got an Oculus Rift. I've sold it now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, got a, I got an Oculus Rift off an, off an ex missus. And, um, one of the things that I found myself doing was watching the same sequence multiple times because yeah. you can only see however much is in your field of vision. And yeah, well, uh, actually, I'll go back and I'll have a look. I'll see what happens if I look that way for it. Yeah. Whereas once you've watched a flat screen, that's it, right? There's no, there's no more yeah. nuance really. Yeah. There's a lot less nuance at least. Yeah, I mean, you can go back, and I mean, I, I remember um, watching Breaking Bad and then watching it so many times, having read all the the different color cues and all those kinds of things. Um, but that's very, very different. Um, certainly in VR, you you can have different people watch it in totally different ways. Um, and that's really exciting. It's really hard if you're trying to direct something and you want the control. So for control freaks, it's awful. Mm. Um, but it is really interesting just letting go and thinking, yeah, people will experience it however they want. So let's let them. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, what's really interesting, you, you mentioned the, the Rift, the, the new Oculus Quest is a game what's changer. What's that one? What's that? So the Oculus Quest came out, oh, I think maybe about two months ago, um, which is one of the first real standalone VR headsets. So you obviously I, have I had the a go. Gear. I had a go. Sorry, I had an Oculus Go. Yeah. That was it. Oh, okay. So the Quest is the next step up from the Go. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Quest, you've got two controllers um, okay. and you've got, a, a space around you. You can play Beat Saber, which is one of the greatest games in VR What's ever. That? What's Beat um, Saber? Be- Beat Saber is like, um, remember the 90s or may- maybe the noughties, um, the dance challenge mats in arcades where oh, you used yeah, to have yeah, to yeah. jump and, and you know, your right foot and your left foot and dance around. Um, it's like that, but in VR, but you're hitting these things. So, so to watch other people doing it, it's a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> But you watch them and you're just like banging to, to different music with beats. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. It's an incredible exercise. Um, but it's really, really cool. Um, so, so highly recommend anybody playing Beat Saber. Um, and that's probably one of the things that's driving sales of Oculus Quest because everyone wants to play Beat Saber. Really? And now wow. you don't need a huge laptop um, or PC to run it. It just runs. Um, so I think with that, um, 
And then Vive have their own one coming out as well, where again, you don't need to be tethered to a machine. Um, that's all massive. You know, this is huge, really. It might actually allow the tech to be more accessible, um, which is good. Yeah. Like that has to be a good thing. Yeah. I think one of the things that I noticed, um, cause I've seen floating around for a while, PlayStation VR. Um, and when Oculus first came out, I think it was like you needed an Android phone or something to link it up to and other bits. And I was just thinking that it just feels quite clunky and it's not really that cool. And then even the Oculus Go, I mean, like I said, I didn't pay for it, but even the Oculus Go that I had last year, um, I, I thought was, was cool. And I enjoyed watching things, but what I was conscious of, and I, I did a little bit of reading. Um, can you explain to the listeners what the, happens to the resolution of a video when you then start to wrap it in, into the, the headset? Because I instantly noticed some of the videos I was watching look lower quality, but mm-hmm. apparently that was more to do with the, the way that it needs to communicate it to your eyes. Is that right? Yeah, it, it, it can be. So um, different... Um, headsets and it'll all be whether you downloaded them or whether you're streaming them and however you're doing it um i always um get questions around you know i i want to make something in 360 or i want a 360 camera which one shall i buy um and there there's one camera that i use all the time um as a basic entry level kind of prosumer camera um which is the insta 360 one x um insta 360 make a great range of cameras um really really great company um, and there's, it now says the one X is 5.7 K. So you think brilliant. This is really good. Like this is going to be great in a headset, mm. but those 5.7 K pixels are being, you know, if you're watching something flat, it's in front of you in that resolution. We now have to put all of those resolution that those pixels all the way around us. So it's the 360 degree image that's made up of all of those pixels. Mm. So it's never going to be as good as watching a uh, uh, ultra HD television, flat, massive screen, all mm. that kind of thing. It's yeah. just not. Um, but it is getting better. Um, I was going to say, where's I mean, the tech at now? Where What's it progressing to? Because I think, I think the stats when I had a go were that if you downloaded something, weren't streaming it, uh, had it on optimal resolution, all this sort of stuff, it could get to about 720p. Is that right? Um, no, I think you can go up to 1080 on 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 the Quest. And it isn't bad. It's not like, bad. It's, it's good. Oh, you just got and so spoiled with 4K and Samsung super, hard, super sharp uh, display absolutely. and all this stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I would say that after... After a couple of minutes in it, you get used to it. Mm-hmm. Your eyes adjust to it. Um, and then it all becomes normal. Um, so I, I lived in VR for 48 hours a couple of years ago. No um, one, one of those, you know, quick, crazy things you decide on a day out that you're going to do. How did you go to the bathroom? I had a five-minute comfort break every hour. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. What about like, one of those so eating with, with you? Yeah, with eating in a headset, drinking in a headset, sleeping, sleeping in a headset, working in a headset, um, oh racing car driving in a headset in real life, but with like the look through camera through, through the headset, um, all those kinds of things. Um, I, I did it with a, 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 a colleague, a VR 
colleague of mine, um, Dean Johnson, we, we did it together. Um, he got a tattoo um, wearing a headset to monitor the difference in heart rate based on your um, whether it could be a pain reducer. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wearing a headset, which it did. His heart rate went down dramatically when he was wearing the headset. Um, so all those kinds of things. Um, really, really interesting. Um, but when I was doing that, I I generally don't like cartoony things in VR. I I like photogrammetry i like realism i i like to feel like it's real um but we were doing a boxing thing with this real cartoonish dude um he looked like one of the characters from the incredibles um and i was like oh you know i I don't believe it's real at all um but after a couple of minutes boxing him it really felt real um, and there were some things there around the haptics, like there was a, a vibration as you were punching him. Um, the screen would go black as if, like, when you got knocked, as if you were like, you know, a little bit starry-eyed and losing your vision slightly. Um, so there were loads of things like that that really tricked your mind, um, and you kind of get used to it. So yeah, the resolution's not all that great, but it's getting there. Mm-hmm. It's getting better. Yeah, I mean, it's I a, have faith. It's a hell of a lot. I, don't get me wrong; it's a hell of a lot more immersive than than watching something on a TV that's at the end of your bed, or or, yeah. in, or in the mounted on the wall in the living room. It, it's definitely yeah. a very different sort of experience. So, what do you think at the moment? If you were to put your money where your mouth was, and someone, let's say, someone has a a, a VR headset at home, and they want to see the the coolest thing or the most impressive thing or just your favorite thing right now, where would you direct them? What should they watch and what is it and why? This is really difficult because for the last couple of years, I've been really bored (laughs) as a huge advocate for the technology. um, I have been really bored. Why? Because I felt like, there's, there's been a lot of pressure on people to make stuff, um, obviously for commercial reasons, and to find an audience and to do all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't allow people the time to be creative and break things a little bit and understand the different things that you can do. Um and you need that time. You know, it's a new tech. Well, it's not a new technology. It's been around since the like, 1965 was the first headset. So it's been around forever. Um, but you need time to really find the good stuff. Um, and that's quite hard to find. So, I mean, there are great, like Beat Saber is a great game. Right? Really, really good. Um if you like to have social VR, you know, you can go into Netflix in a headset and watch something as if you're in the cinema. Mm. And that might be to some people's tastes. Um, I don't understand it personally because I would just watch Netflix on my TV. Um, but, you know, it, it can happen. Um, so there's things like that. Um, I like VR less so for being a home, but in a social experience and an event so i'm a big fan 
of that full kind of immersive experience. Um, there's something on in London at the moment um, that's an immersive experience of War of the Worlds. Oh, wow. Um, and it's a two, three-hour experience. Um it's an event as if you're going to the theatre. There are actors there that sweep you around, along and take you into different places. Um, you go through one area and then suddenly people are throwing a, a rucksack on your back, a sub pack, and strapping a headset to you. Oh my and God. then you're off somewhere else. So Are the within, tickets still available for this? Yeah, they've just released new dates and it's on until January. So it's oh, definitely worth right. checking That's, out. That is it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to put it in now. I'm cool. going to put it in War of the Worlds. To dot um, the the creators, um, and it's a proper experience. It, it's as if you're going to the theatre. Have they got anything to do with the Star Wars one that was on? No. Do you remember that one? That, that, that was similar? the Void. Yeah, yes. that was the Void. So so the Void did Ghostbusters as well. Um, the Void are a huge company. They've been bought by Disney now. Um, of course they but, have. <laughs> obviously um but they do those big immersive experiences and for me that's where the technology really comes alive mm. because you've got it as a group um but you can add so much to the experience by having it in a headset so you know you, you jump into a, a frame of a boat in real life, but then you'd put on a headset and then you would be in the boat. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you've got all these different things going on and there's various light projections and um, holograms and that kind of stuff as well. Um, and you have an interval when you're in this bar and all the tables changing colour and lighting up and everything else. Um, and then you carry on with the experience. And that kind of thing is great. Yeah, that's Because cool. you are sharing it. Um even me and as nerdy as I am, I don't sit at home in the evening and go, you know what, I'm going to stick on my headset for a bit and, you know, jump <laughs> into another world. Watch a bit of loose world. women from today or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's it does like, feel a bit lame, I just watch the TV? Yeah, yeah there, there's something that I I don't – it's it's a lot of effort. Hmm. Um, and also, if you think about how awful – a lot of people are now. We watch TV at the same time as we might be working on our laptop in the evening, at the same time that we might be um, Instagramming something else or checking someone else's social. And we're doing multiple things at the time, at one time. Mm. In a headset, you can't do that. You're stuck. So you've got to be really in something. You've got to be watching something good. all that attention. Yeah. yeah, you can't be watching something um, boring. No, but I mean, there are some, there's a great experience at um, Versace and See, all of these are experiences that you go to. Um, Charlotte Micklebird did a, a great um, flight of the future experience where you're in this um, this kind of um, sphere kind of light up thing um, and you were leaning against something and you had to flap your wings to become a bird and learn to how to fly so you started to fly and then it took you on the whole journey of flight so from the first flight um up until future flight it was all sponsored by British Airways um and that was really interesting again so you had these different experiences you added in different scents you added in heat there was wind um so you had this full kind of um, immersion on lots of different levels um and that was really cool so there are really good things being done but sitting at home saying, oh, I must watch this or I must watch that, um, it's still quite 
limited. Yeah, I, I found think. I found like I think last year I was watching sport like on Facebook Live in the headset, yeah. and I, there was a part of me that thought there's novelty to this, but there was another part of me that was thinking I don't think this is that cool or fun. It's just a bit novel. Am I, yeah. should I, should I be thinking it's cooler? Cause everyone else thinks VR's like the future. And yeah. you, you're right. It's repurposing existing content in an existing format and yeah. just putting it in a worse resolution, but closer to your eyes. Yeah. That's what, that's what that is. And then, yeah, the, yeah. the in the flip side of that, the Star Trek, uh, Star Wars void thing that I desperately tried to get two of the co-hosts, Johnny and Yusuf, to go to. Yeah. But I'm going to force them to go to this War of the Worlds thing. So yeah. the listeners, I'm going to hold them accountable yeah. and we'll talk about it on a future podcast. Um, that, you know, that sounds really, really cool. Um, yeah. We were at a Freshers event um, earlier on this week and they had one of the stalls there. I don't even know. I don't think it would have been anything tremendously sophisticated, but this brand just had a VR headset. Yeah. And they were like, come over and you can race a car or do whatever it is so i think there's still so much novelty and so few people have been exposed to the technology that you can just put a off the shelf probably um headset pop it on someone and be like look Mm -hmm. like this is this is how crazy and quirky we are as a company yeah Um, so yeah i guess there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for people Mm -hmm. to do that um one of the things that i noticed again with the oculus go uh was the file size of these videos is insane. Like for, for the, especially for the long ones. There's a Jurassic Park one. Did you see that one? Yeah. It's called Blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that was awesome. That was my favorite one. I thought that was really cool. It's huge, isn't it? The file size is terrifying. It's only three three or four minutes long, but this file size is insane. Um, and even with that, you can only move. You don't move. You are moved on a on a track through this particular. Film, so yeah. you can imagine that you're walking through a jungle and stuff happens, and you can pan around with your headset, but you can't control the motion. If you were to start to create worlds that were rendered to that sort of resolution, plus were um, being created as you go, I'm going to guess that's that's technology that's not quite ready yet. Is that right? Well, no, I mean, it is if you're tethered to a computer. So okay. if you've got um, the, the Rift or the Vive, um, and certainly to, to some degree, you've got that on the Quest as well, which is really good. Um, so you are starting to open up those kind of multiple worlds, um, not infinite, obviously, um, but different ways that you can move around and explore different areas. So that's really happening now, um, which is great because um, that's what's needed. Um, it's really difficult in, in things where if I work with film and I work with 360, then you can't really do it with that. It, it's not really that. Um, there's ways to add interactivity but not freedom, really, of space. You need to be using kind of photogrammetry um, where you're taking like millions and millions of images um, of one thing and splicing it all together, um, squishing it all together um, to to create a a digital um, image. Um, So you can start doing that, um, but it is moving really quickly, Obviously, starting back in 1965, but it, now it's moving really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's picking yeah. up, picking up oh, pace. But it's, it, it's picking up pace. It's weird with this stuff, though, right? Because we're, we're seeing in front of our eyes how um, multiple areas of technology need to be able to come together to enable something. So, with this, let's say that 
um, X number of years ago, we would have had the lens capability to have been able to show what was going on. But because of the um, the file sizes, you actually need the storage. And then potentially, if you want to have something which is standalone, you need a battery. The battery on the Oculus Go was terrible. Like There yeah. was periods where I couldn't get the Oculus Go to charge because it didn't have enough battery to start up. And it would like yeah. buzz its whole uh, charge yeah. down just trying to start up on charge. That was weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I saw that now anyway. So. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, and looking at these file sizes, we need better storage. We need to be able to make sure that that's, yeah. that, that, that's able to happen and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's weird how all of these – you were talking earlier on about how everyone needs to play a role. Yeah. Um, and and, I mean, now with, like, 5G and all that kind of stuff, that's going to make things really – like, that will help. Mm. That, that will make things better. Um, and it is getting easier. Um I mean, I, I remember when when I first started filming things, um, having to try and stitch it all together manually. So, so I would film on rig. Oh, sorry, I've just dropped you there. Um, I'd film on um, rigs of loads of GoPros, and then I would have to put it through um, software to stitch each of those images together to create one spherical oh image. Oh my god. Um, and now it's mostly done that there's lots of programs you can put things through and it does it all for you. Um, I still try and manually stitch because it took me so long to learn how to do it flawlessly. Um, but the, the algorithms are great. You know, it just happens. Um, but those are those kinds of things that through a group working within this space, it's getting easier. Um, I did a, I worked with Google on um, a couple of different experiences and they gave me one of their, their Google um, Odyssey cameras, this jump, I was one of their jump creators and it was basically a 16 GoPro rig. It was okay. huge. Right, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. massive. Um, the the power bank that it ran off was like this massive kind of like, You got this big backpack thing. on, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, it, you couldn't even carry it. I couldn't carry it. Um, you know, it was not mobile filmmaking whatsoever. Um, but, but it was great. Um, and with all of that, you they, they developed their software that you just plugged it all in. And it went up to the cloud and they stitched it and then they told you when it was ready. Um, the file sizes meant that it took anywhere between five and seven days to stitch these oh cameras God. together. Wow. And you're just like, this is how big it was. Yeah. I've had things like rendering for about 16 hours at oh a time. Yeah. Um, but it is getting so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now. I understand. Hey, we believe you, honestly, Dr. Dr. Jones. Know, we believe you that it's getting better. better. I know it is. Um, honestly. So um, is, yeah. there ever, is there ever going to be a time where we're going to see blockbuster films filmed in full VR or do you think that the uh, inherent difficulty in all of the di- the um, added elements that you need to be able to control is just going to make that a no-no? No, I think they will. Um, I think there's one feature-length VR film that's come out um, that one of the longest films kind of that I've seen, I think, is a good length um, was around 18 minutes. That was um, a piece um, called Control, CTRL, um, which was one of the most powerful pieces that I've seen. Um, it was a good few years ago. Um, and it was all, it was around the gaming community, um, esports. Um, but there was lot, lots of 
darkness around. I don't want to say too much in case anyone manages to see it because mm-hmm. um, it's really, really powerful. Um, so, so that's the kind of maximum length that you get for a lot of experiences, that kind of 18 minutes max, most around eight to 10 for, for kind of the normal experience. Um, but, but I, I think there will, um, but it might not be film as we know it. So it might not be sitting down and watching something for, you know, 120 minutes, um, it might involve more movement or activity. Um, so that's quite different then. Um, so yes, but not as we know it. Um, and I don't think we would go to the cinema and then on the seat in front of us, there would be a headset that we would Pop then put on. I understand. Um, but, but I could see that happening more in kind of theatre companies that there's part of, and, and a lot of theatre companies have experimented with that, that there's part of a production that might be augmented or there might be a different layer of technology used. Um, and that's really exciting for me. The biggest uses will be VR within those kinds of immersive experiences, theatre, art galleries, shared experiences. Um, And then more use will be with augmented reality um, because it's easy. It's on our phones. Mm. You know, we can engage with different things on our phones. Um, We will eventually have holograms in our eyes. We can project whatever we want on the wall. Um, we could be watching the same television, but watching two different programs just through whatever our, our lenses oh, were, were programmed to do. Um, but that's what I think will happen. Yeah. Like, I think that's where we will go. And that's much more likely to happen than people sticking headsets on because yep. it's too intrusive. Yep. Um, and they're still heavy and it ruins your hair and it leaves marks around your face. It does look like and... you've been punched. Yeah. Looks like you've been punched yeah. a lot. Imagine what it looked look like after 48 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. Were you, did you have to peel it off? You had to, like... like <laughs> no, they were, like, grease it. Pull it off. We, we were swapping with lots of different headsets. We were using the Gear VR headset because in the day when Samsung was still great um, in VR. Uh, we were using the Rift. We were using the Vive. We were using the PlayStation that had just come out. So, so yeah, we had lots of different headsets. Yeah. Um, so, you, men- you mentioned... Yeah. At the very start, you mentioned holograms. Like well, I, yeah. to, for me, a hologram is the security seal on the back of my driving license, and that thing that brought Michael Jackson back to life that one time. And I think they brought, <laughs> I think they brought two pack back as well. What, what's yeah, a hologram in your world? Back. Yeah. Um, well, there's talk at the moment. There was meant to be an Amy Winehouse hologram tour, and you, you know the, the technology that's being used for holograms is really interesting, um, and. A little creepy, maybe. How does it work? Um, so, so it works well in a number of different ways. So they can um, use old footage and they can also recreate um, and get mannerisms right. Some use um, like big green screens and motion capture. Um, others are using loads and loads of digital images um, from past footage and putting them all together. Um, and then it's just projections. It, it's like a normal hologram that you would do with a, a CD case and projecting um, lights in and, and creating things that you might you might do if you're nerdy at home, mm. um, which I'm sure everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so yes, yeah, so, so that that's 
you know, I'd say it's really, really simple. It's obviously not. It's yeah. hugely technical um, and costs a fortune. Um, but I think with um, with the technology from HoloLens, um, that obviously Microsoft have been working on, you can really start to think, how might you use holograms as a storytelling technique? Um interacting um in different ways and and there was a really interesting experience which i cannot remember the name of it i can see the poster for it as a sheffield doc fest around two years ago i will let you know because it is really really interesting um where it was um an immigration officer and you were you had to decide whether to let people into the country or not based oh, on their wow. stories so you were grilling them and it was all on the hollow lens so more of an augmented reality you can see through it's a glasses and it's projecting in front of you so it's not a vr headset okay yeah so so, so you're um, not you're not watching something you're seeing the real world and then is it overlaying what's the difference between that yeah, hologram and, it's and so ar then um, it's very, very similar technology. So, so yeah, the the hollow lens, well, the hologram is simply the the way that it's projected. So, Understood. the light beams coming down on there and projecting on there. Yeah. Um, where with AR, it's more that digital representation. Um, but they they were using um the hollow lens to to have these characters that you had to interview to decide whether they would get into the country or not. And determine and determined by your language that you were choosing to use and the decisions you made, the holograms would get more real, they, they'd get more vibrant, um, or they would be slowly withering away. All right. um, and I thought that was a really interesting way. It's very early days, it's like two years ago at, at Sheffield. Um, but it was a really interesting way of how you might use that technology um, to interact with things. Um, so I do think with augmented reality and with holograms, you can start start seeing things a little bit differently. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm watching, uh, and that uh, might be interesting. The other day, I started watching the new Blade Runner, which has just got, gone up on Netflix. And in that, uh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling? Yeah, yeah Ryan Gosling. He's one of the Ryans. It's Ryan someone. Has got, um, it's not Ryan Reynolds. Sorry, it's Ryan Gosling. He's got a, a fake girlfriend that's supplied to him by this company yeah. and she's walking through. And we've seen this in films a million times, right? Like, is that is that going to be possible to be able to have that? To be able to project something 3D into the air, which is broadly opaque as well and is able to move through... Um, because obviously the hologram at the moment, I didn't quite know that it was still essentially just that CD case projector type thing. Yeah. yeah. You can't have this big backdrop moving around or else it's going to start clattering into your tables and chairs when it's supposed to be sitting down. Yeah. Is there anything on the, on the the horizon that allows us to do anything like that? I'm sure there's lots of people working on that. Um, Mm. and, and certainly when you're, you're looking at kind of lenses in your eyes and you know different glasses that you might be wearing um which is what hololens microsoft's hololens is and magic leap and all of those that's what they're working on um always hugely top secret um but you know that that kind of technology is allowing that i mean simply if you look at you know obviously in the real kind of crass basic version when you've got Pokemon Go yep. and you're playing with the little 
little things around and they're in the house and they might be might be in your room um you've got them obviously through the lens of your phone um but if that's being projected in different ways um you, you can see you can see that but then is it any different then to you know cyber relationships in the 80s or the 90s mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's just a know. case of it's just a case of scaling that technology well, either up or down however you want to look at it so that you've yeah. got it always on potentially in your eyes potentially always overlaid over the top of things you are right i guess yeah. i guess the what we're talking about with this hologram the, the um Blade Runner hologram versus Pokemon Go is simply a case of convenience. Is it in your eyes? Is it always on? Do you actually yeah. have this sense that you're doing something or is it just a part of your day-to-day life? What um, yeah. Has Google Glass been discontinued? Did yeah. that get stopped? Yeah. What do they do yeah, with that? So they just, they're, they're just fuck it. Yeah. I, I was a glass hole. I, I tried oh, nice. glass. Great word. Um, yeah, I, I was one of those. I've got lots of photos of me, you know, with my glass on going. <laughs> um, Working out the weather. Yeah. And I kind of felt really sad for them because I thought the ambition is there. Mm-hmm. The technology isn't. <laughs> okay. So what, what were the stumbling blocks? That, that's the problem. Um First of all, you look like a glass hole. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it wasn't very comfortable. You, for, for me, I felt like, you know, it's quite a narrow glass and you had to look up constantly to see what was being projected. Mm. So if you had like your normal glass, you were looking up here yeah. all the time. Um, and that's really quite uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a bit, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? I kind of look really gormless because I'm looking up all the time. Um but the intention was there. Um, you know, what Snapchat have done with their Snapchat glasses and filming from the glasses all the time um, and being able to, you know, broadcast whatever it is you're seeing at any time, that was quite similar to what Glass were doing. So if you went into to filming mode with Glass, it would be filming you cycling on your way to work, um, which is just what, what Snapchat's done with their lenses. Um so there's quite a few people kind of experimenting with, you know, what is it like? But there is still that huge kind of privacy issue, that concern around, you know, what are you capturing all the time? Um, you know, that's really hard and it's really hard to navigate that. And that there aren't that there aren't enough kind of laws or regulations in place to be able to govern all of that or answer any of those concerns. Um, and that's a massive question. Isn't it, isn't so, it weird that they've, they've, people would naturally have a, a inclination against that, but probably fifty percent of people got a smart speaker in their home now. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. I mean, glass was what two thousand twelve, so maybe it would be different. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's something. Yeah, to, uh, it's interesting the fact that it's to do with the visual. So in James Mm -hmm. Clear's book, Atomic Habits, he gives this great fact that he says, in the human body, there's about 14 million cells that are dedicated to sense and 11 million of them are dedicated to sight. That's how highly we discriminate uh, our our sight over our other senses. Um, And there was a, someone will be able to tell me what this is. There was a YouTube video that I watched not long ago where it was trying to show people how... Um, uncomfortable they felt when they realized they were uh, under surveillance 
And this person went in and sat down straight in front of a couple at a restaurant and just had the camera Mm -hmm. like that and just didn't say anything. And people started freaking out, started just losing their shit. I'd sit down next to someone who was reading the paper at a park bench and just put the camera in the face. And the the difference is that it was a camera across the street. It's a camera in the corner of the shop. It's camera, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But there's something very, very invasive this uh, that's creepy and visceral and just weird about knowing that someone's watching in a way that knowing that someone's listening isn't and even in the way that knowing that someone's watching statically isn't as well i think um yeah there's some big hurdles for that sort of technology to overcome yeah yeah and i think i mean we we give ourselves away so freely um online constantly but there is still that that we're just a little bit uneasy with um and i think that goes back to that problem of you know accessibility with vr that it still is too close it's intrusive it's on our head and it's Mm. not comfortable so you have all of that kind of playing out constantly um but yeah i mean i I do think the the lighter the technology gets the easier it gets to use um i used to have like a clip-on vr lens that would be clipped onto my phone so I could watch VR content um through um like a, a clip on double lens. Okay. <laughs> really weird. So you'd be putting your um, eyes putting your phone up to your face like that. Yeah, so so you'd have your phone there and the these lenses would adapt onto it to make it into a VR viewer. So it's like I've okay. got my little VR view wherever I am. Um and obviously with, you know, cardboard headsets and God, all those kinds nerdy, of yeah. things. It's <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole collection. I've got a whole whole collection of headsets through history. Um, but it's really fun. Um but but yeah, it's it's quite interesting to see that those changes and as it gets lighter and as they get more comfortable and easier. Um, but still, I'm just not sure if lots of people are going to stick on a headset. Mm. Um, no, it's not as if iPhone was the first touchscreen phone. It's the first no. one. It's the first one that was able to deliver the technology sufficiently seamlessly for people to adopt it. Yeah. And it's the same with this. What's the company? Yeah. What's the company that is going to get first mover? Adv- and I, Apple, again, perfect example they didn't have a phone until they did that. There'd been loads of people who'd been in the phone space who yeah. had dabbled with touchscreen phone. Then BlackBerry had had one that was like touch and keypad and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, so it might it very well might be, and it could be Apple. Apple could come out with something yeah. VR and just totally storm the market, which which is yeah. it's funny. And it's good, it's good that capitalism allows the best product to rise to the top. It always makes me feel sad for like mm-hmm. go- poor Google Glass, like 2012, <laughs> slaving away, I, desperately yeah. trying to make it work. And then there's Apple 15 years later coming in with like Apple eyes or whatever they call it and they, they'll nail it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I do feel sorry for Google Glass. And I love the fact that they tried really hard and it could have been great. And the thought, the intention was completely right. Um, I don't think Apple are going to do much with with VR. I think that they are really buying into the AR market. And I think whatever they bring out, um, you know, you've got the AR kit on Apple. There's lots of great things like Reality Composer where you can, it's all open source. You can bring in kind of digital objects and um, 
download their app to kind of project those objects in your environment so you know there's great examples that that some teachers are using um getting kids engaged with stuff and looking at kind of road maps and um kind of the solar system and holding planets in your hand mm. and, and looking around them um and that kind of technology is brilliant and that's all been done through ar through ar kit um and things like reality composer that kids are using on their iPads and really, really engaging with. Um, so I think that's where Apple will be. Mm. Um, and whether they come out with glasses or whatever it might be, um, there's always lots of rumours and lots of leaks, but, you know, we will see. If it was um, if it was Apple, they'd be able to trademark the II. The II. <laughs> and I'm from Newcastle, so I'm allowed to say that. Uh, the yeah, why, I, that would be the I'm not, why I'm not sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure I could. Like, I, I, um, I that I. might be a bit wrong. <laughs> I, I. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite funny though when they came out with the watch, and it was very much. It's not called the iWatch; it's the watch. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so maybe it will just be I. All right, Tim Cook, stop um, being really serious. Everything else was I. Um, yeah, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> one of the things that I heard um, Sam Harris talk about a while ago. And I'm going to butcher it, but you'll be, you'll know what I'm talking about. Sam's concern was as technology allows us to become more immersive, there'd been some very, um, uh, there'd been some studies done which showed AR and VR's ability to change people's political views, their, uh, views towards, I think, climate change or tree felling. There was something as well. Do you know what I'm talking about, or am I just am yeah, I blowing yeah. out the holes? No, here, right? no. Okay, no. can you can you tell the listeners what what I'm on about? Because yeah, I mean, there, there've been loads of, of of conversations and discussions and lots of things around this. So we basically say that VR as an immersive media has the capacity, the potential to change perceptions to change understandings and that's that's why we like it so you know if you want to experience you know, clouds over sidro an incredible piece done by chris milk a few years ago one of the big kind of vr 360 kind of experiences following the journey of a girl in a refugee camp in um, jordan so that's was designed to drive empathy it was meant to um, invoke that sense of um, we need to take action. You know, it was designed to be shown to decision makers at the UN to get them to understand more and change their minds and get them to do more. So the technology has been used for all of that. It's been labelled as this empathy machine, uh, which I think is a load of nonsense. Um, but that's what it's been labelled as. Um if you take that argument that it can change minds, you can put the technology in other people's hands and get them to change minds in different ways. If the technology has that power to change what you're thinking about something, where does it go with subliminal messaging? Where does it go with um, arguing for something else? Um, there's been really, really interesting studies around gender swapping in VR, getting to people to experience different genders um, and then seeing how that changes 
um, attitudes and behavior in the workplace. You know, feel what it's like for a woman to be the only woman in a boardroom full of men, those kinds of scenarios. Um, some of them are really powerful. So some of them have been shown to have impact. Um, there was one around um, at Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab where they did something around homelessness and they had two groups and one group just received information on flat screens and brochures and that kind of stuff. And the other one experienced it. The other group was experiencing homelessness in um, immersive experiences and connecting with people. And then they repeated it and then they they looked at the data over who was who was still more empathetic, who who was actually who had changed their behavior. And all of the studies showed that it was the group that were exposed to it in an immersive way mm. because they had that closer relationship. So, so yeah, you are looking at technology that can potentially change people's minds if that is for the wrong way. How is that monitored? How is that regulated? Um, we're talking pretty much in quite a unregulated industry um so uh, yeah i think the the concept of brain hacking um and changing the mind to think changing the brain and the way that you're thinking and your beliefs and your motivations is really interesting but a little bit freaky yeah well i mean Um, the only thing that i the analogy that i can kind of draw here is that with social media it's we had no idea that it was going to come. Social media was a change. The fact that you have a screen in your pocket, which is able to layer all sorts of different mental models and cognitive biases on top of itself, like an echo chamber and confirmation bias and, you know, all Mm. all the different things that you have when you follow people on Twitter and then the algorithm starts to re-deliver you more content, which, you know, either outrage or agreement are the two things, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff, right? So you, you, we, we didn't know what was going to go on with that. That happened. And now I think everyone has realized we probably fucked up a bit with social media. We've probably ungoverned or there's not enough governance around are these things a platform or a pipeline? Are they a publisher? Um, Should we be monitoring the content? Should they be allowed to de-platform people if they're not breaking the law or all this sort of stuff? And I think a lot of uh, the general public and sort of techie people are looking forward now with a little bit more mindfulness about what what's going yeah. on are we are we about to unleash the next thing and then the analogy sam harris uses it's really really interesting is he he talks about um how he sees a ceiling there's a ceiling on how much behavior change you can get from a, a two-dimensional phone that's in your hand mm-hmm. and that that ceiling gets raised and we don't know by how much how much does it get raised by AR? How much does it get raised by VR? How much does it get raised by, I guess, this always-on yeah. VR holographic sort of stuff, which yeah. is somewhere between AR, VR, and and yeah. and something else? Um, yeah, I, I, again, you know, before the Manhattan Project, like you didn't need to have any legislation for nuclear bombs because there was no nuclear bombs. Yeah. And inevitably, with technology, the legislation always lags behind the yeah. actual technology coming out. You can't, yeah. and on top of that, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's not going back in the cage. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. It's a space I mean, like, I'm glad I'm not having to legislate or, or govern in. It yeah. sounds like it, it would be a bit messy. Yeah, I mean, there, there was the, um, the government did a, a select committee looking at immersive technologies and addiction 
um, which start in January. So I gave evidence to it in January, which was all a little bit surreal. Was that um, House of Commons? Yeah, yeah, wow, it was the nice. um, DCMS. Um, and the report was published only a few weeks ago. Yes. September the 12th, I think. Um, so it's all online. And, and that's really interesting, actually. There's really interesting findings in there. And it's gaming and addiction, um, but also around immersive as well. And one thing that I spoke a lot about was, um, you know, the impact and everything that we've learned from cyberbullying and social networks that need to be stopped before it starts and it's already starting in VR social spaces. Um, and there was a really interesting study done last year um, with loads of people that were using social VR spaces and the amount of people, it's like 60% of people um, felt that they'd been harassed in social spaces in VR, um, particularly women, but quite a high number of men as well. Um, and I've always found social VR really creepy. Like, mm. I don't like it. No. Um, it always reminds me of that kind of early internet chat room where MSN you or, yeah. yeah, you didn't quite know who was there and it was all a little bit weird. Um, and that's what it's like in social VR when these weird kind of bodiless um, or armless or legless kind of avatars come creeping up to you and on be like, hey, Sarah, how are you? <laughs> on and top it's of just that weird. as well, like think about the people who have adopted that technology at this stage of its life. <laughs> Like that is, Oi, because I'm one of them. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's true, bollocks. Way to make your guests feel feel nice and comfortable. Yeah, thanks um, for that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but you understand my point. You understand my point. Ab- it is selecting for something, and we don't know what it's selecting for. But it's yeah. definitely selecting for the first PhD in immersive storytelling. But we know there's only Absolutely. one of you, so what are the rest of them, right? <laughs> um, and, you, you, you know, there's going to be some people in there who are non-typical, by virtue of the fact that there's not many of them. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And there are some great things being done in social VR spaces, and there's quite a lot now of kind of women-only rooms. Um, but you can also, you know, go to campfires, you can go on, like, musical nights, you can do karaoke on a Friday night. It's very much the oasis um, <laughs> in um, Ready Player One. It's mm, very much that yeah, kind of yeah. world. You've got lots of different places to explore. Um, but what the tech companies have done, which is really good, if you are in a social space and people are coming towards you and it's freaking you out you can put a safety bubble around you so you you create this kind of this is my personal space you get out of my bubble kind of restriction i I run nightclubs that's my job i've run nightclubs for 13 years and if i can get someone to create a real life version of that (laughs) my work life will be be 10x in terms of its comfort Get out of my personal yeah. space. I need around about three feet in all directions, please. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, moving but I thought that was so really easy. interesting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But it, again, it shows the fact that we have this sort of very visceral response to, to people and we can't, we can't distinguish because there's nothing to be afraid of. Like it's just another chat room. You don't know if yeah. my bits are close to your like uh, bits in, in the way that we're transferring information now, but it, because mm-hmm. it's not represented visually in a way that our senses can tell, we're not that bothered. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, it comes down to that question of how real is the virtual, really? Mm-hmm. And do we perceive it to be real or not? Um, and if what we're trying to get to is 
a place where we cannot decipher what's real and what's not, then that can be, you know, it can be just as bad, you know, for, for somebody to, you know, harass you um, virtually, whether it's within a virtual reality environment or whether it's on a cyberbullying thing, it's still harassment. Mm. Um, so it, it it's quite difficult to to kind of comprehend and it, it's difficult for people to accept that it's just as bad, but it is. Well, anyone who knows about the, the rubber hand experiment yeah, exactly. know, knows that you can literally trick your brain by using visual cues into yeah. feeling something physically yeah. and forget how it feels emotionally. Um, I, yeah, I, it really is a bit of minefield, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Mm. You can always press your bubble. Press your bubble, get (laughs) my bubble out there. Honestly, I I want it for the real world. So, uh, Dr. Jones, today's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. If if the listeners want to find out some more things, are there any cool blogs or websites or where would you direct them and where can they they find you as well? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Um, Live on Twitter, Virtual Sarah J. Um, Always online. or in a virtual world somewhere. Um, but there are loads of really, like all of the tech platforms, Upload VR, um, all of those kinds of places are great for kind of immersive news. Um, and just try and check out, I, I'd always say try and check out, we've just had Rain Dance the last weekend, um, which has been full of really interesting um, VR experiences um, and if anyone is in bristol um there's the first vr cinema based in bristol run by Catherine allen um called limini limini i can't say it that word find it bristol's vr <laughs> cinema um, i'll send it to you um which is is great and they have loads of great experiences on so it's a really easy way to get people in um so really good stuff there too Awesome. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thanks to everything we've spoken about will be in the show notes below. Virtual Sarah J on Twitter. Uh, If you have any questions, feel free to go and uh, drop her a message. For now, thank you very much.